So um, we have uh, on this episode we have Stephen Elliott and Megan Murphy. I'm gonna instead of introduce you, I'm gonna we're gonna get into your stories. Um, so I'll just let you introduce yourselves. But f- first of all, Megan, I just want to let you know uh, something I wanted to bond with you over, which is that I went on Destiny's podcast recently too and had a terrible experience. Oh, no. but I, didn't, I didn't have the gumption that you did to, to, to just throw your mic down and leave. <laughs> But I listened to your episode and I was like, I should have done that. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't my plan. And I've never, yeah, I've never done that before in the middle of a conversation or a debate of any kind. But I just, I mean, I wasn't that familiar with him. I didn't know much about him. I was just like, sure, whatever. We can talk. That's exactly what I did. I'd never um, heard of him before. Then. Yeah, like I'd sort of, I, I knew that he was like a big guy in the streaming like Twitch world um so i just figured you know like i'm open to talking to different people and i saw that he'd been on lex friedman's podcast i was like okay he must be like kind of legit but then you know pretty like probably like 10 minutes into our conversation i was like oh this guy is just playing games with me like this is just all a performance for his audience to rile people up this is a total waste like this is a video game legitimate conversation or debate yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, it was so. I was like, "Fuck this!" Excuse me, <laughs> so, um, anyway, and then Stephen, I want to congratulate you on your settlement, which we can get into, and actually, maybe we can just get into that now. Um, Stephen, do you want to just recap, um, however long or short you want to go, on just the whole this whole odyssey you've been through recently that has ended in this uh, settlement of this lawsuit? Well, I mean, there's so much to it. You know, I don't even mm-hmm. know where to start. Um, where there was a, you know, the shitty media men list was kind of a, a foundational document for the Me Too movement. You know, it's one of the first documents of a big thing, you know, lots of news. And, and on the list, it was live for like 12 hours and anybody could, um, that had access to the list could anonymously accuse you of uh, sexual misdeeds, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was accused of multiple rapes. Uh, and multiple rape allegations. And, you know, initially I was like, oh, well, thank God. Because I knew it was, I knew that's not true. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to like, I don't want to be responsible for hurting somebody, you know? And so this was obviously, um, you know, uh, this was obviously intentionally false. And, you know, I I don't actually, I don't enjoy penetrative sex with women. It's not a thing I generally do. Um, And so I knew right away that there was, there was, Obviously, I knew I was not guilty of rape, but I also, unlike every other guy on the list, I also knew there was no woman out there who believed that I had raped her. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of put me in a unique position because at the mm-hmm. time, and with the and early Me Too, you kind of had a hysteria going on. And a lot of people were kind of remembering things that happened under a different light. So there was a certain number of people where you couldn't really be sure, like, oh, my, what if this woman I hooked up with five years ago now thinks I raped her, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't have any, uh, data or anything as to how common that was, but it was certainly a thing that men were afraid of, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Whether it was valid or not, it's not really the point, but I knew that didn't exist for me, you know? So, um, and I'd been very open about my sexuality. I mean, I'd written books about it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the only time I've had sex with a woman would be if I was like tied to a table and hooded and she just climbed on top of me. It wasn't, there was no other way that was going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew everybody I had penetrative sex with, you know, and there was like just, it was two or three people. And I'd never had 
that with a woman that worked in media anyway, you know, so I just, so anyway, I, I knew that. And that put me in a unique position. Those after a year, you know, you had, there was a lot of consequences to being on that list. You know, a lot of things were canceled. I was uninvited from stuff. You know, I had a book that had a initially a really large pre-publication reception, you know, I was getting all these like starred reviews and then it came out and there was no reviews at all. You know, mm-hmm. everything was canceled. I had like a Paris review interview that was spiked, all that stuff. And, um, and you could tell that it was just going to continue, right? You were going to be under the foot of this thing forever because I was pitching TV shows at the time. And if somebody, you never knew who knew, right? And if somebody just wants to sink you, they just say, oh, you know, this guy's accused of rape. And mm-hmm. now you don't have a TV show. You could sell it, mm-hmm. but they could take it away from you in a minute. You're like, you're at that point, you're just kind of a slave to this thing, you know? And uh, there was a statute of limitations, which was very important. So after a year, I had to file a lawsuit or not file a lawsuit. I couldn't wait. I couldn't think about it. And so I decided to file the lawsuit. And um, right after I decided that, actually, and I'd written about it in Colette that week, and this lawyer is, you know, contacted me and agreed to take on the case. Uh, so initially, I was going to file the lawsuit on my own without a lawyer, but they took it, you know, on contingency. Uh, you know, four and a half years later, you know, uh, Moira Donegan, the creator of the list, you know, did everything, and her, you know, her high powered lawyers, uh, they, you know, did everything that they could to not let it get to court. Because I think that they knew if it gets to court, they're going to lose. Um, and it was clear that it was going to be going for four more years, you know. And so, yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they offered to settle. And we had some, like, negotiations. And I refused, uh, you know, I refused to sign a non-disclosure. I was going to do that, which I thought was, mm-hmm. like, I thought it was like the most Harvey Weinstein thing in the world to ask for a non-disclosure agreement. Like, are you like, are you serious? You're like the uh-huh. face of like the Me Too movement. And you're asking for like a non-disclosure agreement. Like, right. not even wrap my head around that. Like the, <laughs> the, the stunning hypocrisy. Like, you know, she was she was represented by Roberta Kaplan, who was the woman that was, you know, uh, also representing Andrew Cuomo. Wow. But these people, they don't have like. They have no principles whatsoever. They don't actually believe in anything. It's just a, it's all just a power grab. You yeah. know, like didn't, they, don't, they don't care. They don't care if you're guilty or not. It's not relevant. You know, we settled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Well, congratulations on the settlement and closing that chapter in your life. Um, I don't know if it's actually closed because, you know, the monetary settlement is there, but that doesn't mean that the harm mm-hmm. to your reputation hasn't, doesn't persist. Um, I mean, then, mm-hmm. you know, my agent fired me. My publisher fired me. My editor fired, you know, they all made public statements. You know, I don't have a writing career anymore. You know, I'm a property manager now. I'm not going to write. Look, I I wrote eight books for 25 years. You know, I met, you know, I made a living as a writer and as an artist. And I'm grateful for that. But that's like, that's gone. Yeah. I just work in real estate now. You know, that's not, that's not coming back. Yeah. Megan, I I was listening to your podcast today with, Jamie Kilstein. Um, it sounds like a, kind of a familiar story. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Was, were you, was this on your radar, Megan? Yeah. 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 I remember mm-hmm. reading about that. And, you know, and I, I think I knew some people who'd been canceled who ended up on that list. You know, I mean, that whole thing outside of the specific shitty media men list. I mean, that happened everywhere. Like in Vancouver, right. it was like, local DJs and local artists and you know the the 
the hipster scene was in shambles. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people's <laughs> lives are destroyed. Like, I, re- I remember being like, you know, it happened to some of my friends in Vancouver. And I asked them and I'd be like, somebody told me that you raped them. What happened? And they'd tell me what happened. And I'd be like, oh, this is clearly wow. garbage. And then I would get in trouble for not unfriending these people. Like, it was just a... You know, I was supportive of the Me Too movement at first. And then at a certain Mm -hmm. point, I was like, this is crazy. Like, all Mm -hmm. you're doing is posting vague accusations on Facebook. And there was actually a guy in Vancouver named Stephen Galloway. I don't know if I know know Stephen. You know that story? Yeah, Stephen. We had a phone call the other day. He called me, actually. Oh, okay. I hope he's doing better then. There's a network of us. We all started communicating. All the guys. That's what happens. And, and, you know, the lawsuit was kind of the first pushback on the Me Too, like my lawsuit. And so all these guys started contacting me because they didn't have anybody to talk to. They lost all their friends and community and nobody understood. Even some of them, their families had, had turned their backs on them. Right. Yeah, like the Stephen thing was brutal because, and when it happened, I right away was like, this is weird. And I can you tell the story real quick? Because, yeah, so so Stephen Galloway was a very well known author in Canada, and he was the head of the creative writing department at UBC. And he was accused of something. Nobody actually knew what he was accused of, and yet it was still reported in the media, and like UBC was issuing press releases, and of course people are talking about it all over social media. Nobody will say what happened. He mm. was just he was accused of something. Like I how think does that worked. Like, maybe at like, most how was it, it was reported? like a, abusive behavior, but it was clearly implied that there was something like rape. Like that was Mm -hmm. the implication, but nobody could actually say that the accuser was uh, anonymous the whole time. The people who were supporting the accusers got to stay anonymous in the press. Also, like all of the reporting was anonymous, except for Stephen Galloway, who did something so bad that he had to be fired and canceled from the whole world and have his entire life and career blown up. And all I could gather, like I looked around everywhere, I asked around, you know, there's there are all these people who were that I sort of knew or friends of friends who, oh, well, I, I, I know it was something bad that happened. I'm like, okay, what happened? They're like, oh, well, I can't really say. I'm like, okay, you don't know either. <laughs> got it. But right. I can't, like, I got in trouble for asking questions about it within the feminist community because you weren't right. allowed to question the Me Too movement. And it was sort of at that point was when I was sort of, you know, letting go of that whole and then ideology Megan, and attachment. I, I but anyway, he he mm-hmm. got in like his whole life was canceled and ruined, and he he sued, and I think the lawsuit is still ongoing. It so is, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then Maggie, you got. I don't know if you would call it your your own experience being canceled. You were deplatformed, right? Can you talk a little bit about that background? Yeah, I mean, I've been canceled like I don't know so many times that it doesn't <laughs> matter anymore. <laughs> I, mean, I was canceled into freedom. You definitely went through a cancellation. Oh yeah. Know. I mean I've I was but I was canceled for the first time in 2015 by the Canadian left and and the Canadian feminists who started this big petition and campaign to have me fired from my job at the time I was working as an editor and I was podcasting and writing for this super leftist like labor news site called rabble.ca um and I was accused of um Horphobia, because I was opposed to prostitution. I was somehow I was accused of everything. I was somehow accused of racism. I was accused of transphobia, um, and 
I, it the the petition didn't work. I wasn't fired, but it was incredibly stressful because it felt like everybody in, and I came from the left, so you right, know there was people that I knew and friends and people <laughs> that I worked with who were like <laughs> trashing me all over social media, and and I wasn't allowed to respond. My employer wouldn't let me say anything, so I just had to like sit there and watch. And everybody at work, like or whatever at work, this was all online. <clears throat> We weren't working in an actual office. This was just a part-time job that I was doing. But everybody kind of like stopped. All my coworkers ostracized me and like stopped speaking to me. So it was very unpleasant and uncomfortable. And just it felt really, really bad. And I almost had like a mental, emotional breakdown during that. So by the time it came to getting canceled again in 2018, I sort of had been around the block. Yeah, wait, what and it <laughs> Although getting banned from Twitter was horrible, like work wise, like it was devastating. Like I was when I got banned from Twitter, people were like, oh, well, maybe it's a big relief. Twitter sucks so much. And I was like, first of all, I love Twitter. Um, second of all, it was so scary for me. Like I was I cried. I was like, I did. I was like, how am I going to make a living? Like I was so reliant mm-hmm. stupidly on that platform. But at at that time, like I didn't have a YouTube channel. I didn't have a public Instagram account. I didn't have a public Facebook account. I just you know, so much of my audience was there. And then I was banned and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't speak for myself. I felt like I was erased from the conversation and all these people used the banning as an excuse to further libel me. Like, oh, well, she's so horrible that she even got banned from Twitter. Right. Mm. So it did, it did. It was, it was, it was shitty. (laughs) What what, what were the triggering events of each of those cancellations? What was the, the actual, you know, quote unquote crime? Um, well, the, I mean, the petition was really that there was a lot of leftists in Canada behind the scenes who were angry that I was writing critically about prostitution and pornography because I was the only one on the website. And I was really kind of the only one on the left in Canada and probably the only one or one of the only ones in Canada who as a feminist was writing critically about prostitution or pornography, you know, that went out of style, not just on the left, but for feminism. Um, So I was constantly being attacked and, and accused of whorephobia and being against sex workers and all this stuff. Um, And so I think it was, it was really rooted in that. And then when I started sort of tentatively criticizing gender identity and and mostly you know sticking up for women's spaces um like you know women's transition houses women's shelters things like that then they they had a real opportunity so they jumped on that so that was Mm. what the petition was rooted in in 2015 but you know rabble combed through everything i'd ever produced for them and couldn't actually find anything that i'd written that qualified as hate speech so they couldn't get rid of me and you know supposedly this is like a labor rights website so right. you know they had to follow some kind of they had to have some kind of integrity in that regard in 2018 it was again you know like i was i had become really vocal against trans activism and gender identity at that point and probably one of the most vocal people and absolutely definitely one of the most vocal feminists in Canada. I don't know that there were any feminists in Canada who really were speaking out against this. And so, again, I think that some people behind the scenes at Twitter were just after me in general and were looking for reasons. So I was locked down 
for saying men aren't women. I was then locked down again for asking what's the difference between a trans woman and a man, which was, you know, I wasn't trying to be antagonistic. I was trying to get at, you know, what's behind this ideology. Like if you're going to say this mantra, trans women are women, what does that mean? Like at what point does a man become a woman? How does he become a woman? You know, on Tuesday, he's a man. On Wednesday, he says he's a woman. Why? Like what's happening mm -hmm. in between there? And then, of course, there was this guy, um, Jonathan Yaniv, who had been going around Vancouver asking aestheticians to give him a Brazilian bikini wax. Um, and he would, yeah, he would contact. Yeah. Oh, oh, I remember that too. And he, and then, and he was like, he was like vilifying these like just like working class yeah. or even like impoverished like workers. These right? immigrant right. women. Right. 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 Working out of their homes, like most of them were, you know, English ESL. Most of them were immigrants. Yeah, they so just. So much of this stuff is like these class wars, you know, like yeah, like, like they like have Roxanne, no power in the world at all. They're totally yeah. terrified that no like, resources. Like, like Roxanne Gay, I remember, you know, she grew up really rich with servants, you know, super wealthy. Wow. You know, really? and then she. Oh yeah, she's. I didn't know that either. To, awful, um, but I didn't. She know went that. to Tote or Exeter, one of the super fancy boarding schools like the most expensive in the country then she went to yale i mean she's comes from a boatload of money she didn't mm -hmm. have to pay for anything and then you know then she's on twitter you know uh chastising mcdonald's employees for not using <laughs> the proper gender and i'm just like get fucked you've reached the end of this episode of the free version of public's podcast to access the full version become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.